Amen. Uh, if you would, grab your Bibles tonight. 2 Kings chapter 18 is where we'll be. 2 Kings chapter 18. And uh, I would say a familiar man probably to most, if not all of you, uh, in the Bible. And so uh, we'll just read the first eight verses here of 2 Kings chapter 18, and I don't, I don't intend to preach long tonight, communion service afterwards and everything, so uh, 2 Kings chapter 18, just three things about the man, uh, but here he is, verse number one, uh, 2 Kings 18, now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, uh, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of Zacharias, or Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and brake the images and cut down the groves and brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense unto it, and, and he called it Nehushtan, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him and prospered him, uh, whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchmen. To the fence city. And so that ultimately is the final note of who Hezekiah is. Now it goes on, of course, his, his story follows. The Lord tells what happens with Hezekiah after that, but he gives the summation. He does that with many of the kings, uh, where he takes the entirety of what he sees in their life, combines it all, and just kind of gives you a quick synopsis ultimately of their life, whether they were a good king or a bad king, right? Uh, whether they did right or whether they were evil. Uh, if you were to go back and you were to look at Ahaz, Ahaz, his father, not a good one, right? Ahaz, bad. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, that was, that's the way the Lord characterizes those kings. Many times it was uh, that he did right like his father David. He likens them all the way back to David uh, as opposed to his immediate father who wasn't doing so good. Uh, that's what the Lord does repeatedly. Now, if we were to go ahead and look at this in its entirety, and we were to go ahead and read every verse on Hezekiah, he shows up in, in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, uh, Micah, Hosea. We would, we would be all over, all right? He shows up, I think it's six different books he shows up in, all right? Uh, so we won't do that, okay? I promise we won't go all those places. Uh, but many of you know the life of Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah, right here, he says that uh, in verse uh, number, I have to keep turning back and forth. Uh, in verse number six, he says that he departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. Now, we all know Hezekiah, right? He's the one who gets sick and he turns his face to the wall and he asks the Lord for some more time and the Lord gives him some more time and 
it's very arguable whether the Lord should have given him any more time. He might have just been better to stop right there, right? Because uh, he doesn't do so hot at the end there, right? He ends up and he brings people in and he shows them the greatness of his kingdom and doesn't talk about God at all and the greatness of who God is. And he kind of, he falls down right there at the end. He really doesn't finish well. And it's pretty sad because he goes, well, at least there'll be prosperity in my day. His, kings are, his kids are going to have to reap the failures that he ends with. And he says, well, yeah, but at least it's prosperous in my day. Uh, one of the saddest statements you see in the scriptures is Hezekiah going, well, it was good. at least it's going to be good for me. I don't care about my kids and what they got to deal with, right? Uh, terrible ending. But recognize one thing. You go back to the beginning of this chapter, and the Lord understands David wasn't perfect. All flesh is grass. Mankind, we all have our failures, and we all have our faults, and we all have the times when we don't do it right. Hezekiah's got his blemishes, and the Lord doesn't cover them up. He tells you all about them. But it's amazing when he goes to sum up the life of many individuals that you and I would consider not so great, he puts Samson in the Hall of Fame of Faith. I don't know about you, I don't know how Samson got his name in there. <laughs> he was awful. Just, just Lot vexed his righteous soul. Are you reading the same book that I'm reading? Abraham, he wavered not at the promises. What? He laughed at you. Like all the things that we look at and we go back and we go, I read that. I read that right there. And when you told me that story, right? We all know God goes ahead and when he wants to sum up somebody's life, he doesn't have to worry about the worst things they did. Our worst moments are not who we really are. Praise the Lord. That's not, we may mess it up real hard one day. And Lord goes, yeah, that was one day I forgave that. They don't have to be that anymore. And Hezekiah, he may not have finished perfect and he may not have done everything right. But what I do like about him is uh, you find out in verse number 7, and the Lord was with him. I like that phrase. You look at the life of, of Hezekiah and you know what you found? You find that he did right. And he did right because of three things in this spot where he talks about it. Uh, he did three things in particular in verses 4, 5, and 6. They're listed. He did those three things. And I think if we do those things, the Lord will be with us. And I don't just mean, well, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. All right. He'll be with us and he'll prosper us. He'll help us to have good success in places he talks about, different verses that he uses. Uh, I think there's three things he does that if we would do these things and we would kind of hold on to these, uh, we could get some great prosperous success in our spiritual walk with the Lord and have the victories that we're looking for. And they're very simple, but they're very hard for us to do often. And they're difficult. I think they were difficult for Hezekiah to do. And so uh, let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we're going to look at how to live right tonight. Just how to live right and have God's blessings. Uh, so let's pray. Father, I thank you for the night, and I thank you for bringing us all together. Lord, I thank you for the Word of God, and that we can open the pages of a Bible and be sure that we're looking right at what you need us to see. And Father, I pray tonight would be no different, that you'd help me to say what needs to be said, that administer grace to the hearers, that you'd help us to gain uh, Lord, we'll be reminded of or we'll be encouraged about doing the things that we are doing or, Father, doing some things we ought to be doing instead of what we are doing. And so, Father, once again, I do pray you would help everybody in this room, Lord, and listen to this, that they would also prosper and have good success in the Lord. 
be able to see you walk with them and talk with them and have great victory because of how great you are to us. Lord, once again, we pray you would bless our night. Father, I thank you the teens made it safely and all the drivers. I pray that you would give them a great week up in the North Country and, and a great time at teen camp. And Father, once again, we pray you'd bless our night. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so uh, first thing Hezekiah does, now Hezekiah, his father is not so great, right? Ahaz is not a good king, you know, he's, he's setting up idols and images and groves. And uh, you get to verse number four, and the first thing that he did was he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. So why did he do all those things? Because he wanted to remove the idols from before the people. He wanted to get rid of all the idols, everything that could be worshipped, everything that was false worship, he wanted to get rid of. Uh, his father's the one who instituted a bunch of those. If you go back and you look, Ahaz is a wicked king. He, he sets up the groves, he sets up the images, he does all these things. You realize that uh, Ahaz, Ahaz is doing all that and he's raising Hezekiah. Hezekiah is his son. Oftentimes we look back at our lives and we say, well, uh, you know, I got a... I got all these things in my past because of my past, because of the way I was brought up. And we, we base all of the things that happen. The world has got us conditioned to think, well, you know, because you were raised terribly back there and all those people did those things, well, you have to do all those. That's why you are the way that you are. And you can't get past that. And you got to stay a victim for the rest of your life. Hezekiah wasn't. Hezekiah wasn't a victim. He looked at what his father did and he said, that's wrong. I don't want to be like that. You know what you can do? You can rise up and go, I don't want to be like my parents were. I don't want to live in the house that I grew up in. And I don't want my kids to live in the house that I grew up. You can make a change. You know what he says? He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remove the idols and all the things that my dad set up. I'm going to take all those things and I'm going to rip them all down and I'm going to destroy them all. And I'm going to take ultimately his father's legacy and destroy it. That's what his dad built. And he goes, I'm done. I'm not going that direction. And he tore it all to the ground. And he destroyed every, every last bit of what his father had set up. He goes ahead and tears it back down. Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, it's going to be hard for me to get that stuff out. You don't think it was hard for, for Hezekiah to stand up and go, we got to do the right thing here. Doing the right thing isn't the easy thing. I think we get confused and we think, well, if I'm going to do right, God's going to make it all easy. No. <laughs> no. You have adversaries that don't want you to do right. Why would they make, they're not going to make it easy. And you think it's easy, you think it was easy, Hezekiah stands up, and sure, he's the king and he's got all power and he can say whatever he wants to say, but aren't you the one who's supposed to be able to decide what you allow into your life and into your house and into the things that are happening for you? Aren't you supposed to be able to control what your heart is going toward and what it's running for and all those things? My, right? Isn't his statement, guard your heart? Keep thy heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. Well, if he told you to keep it, then why can't you keep it? That's supposed to be yours. And, we keep, and you know our problem, we let all these things come in and it distracts us from who God is 
and what he's supposed to be and how we're supposed to look to him and we're supposed to go to him and we're supposed to have him and he doesn't stay preeminent and I won't preach the message I preached last week on first things first but it's it's that same truth that same truth is we put idols into our lives whether it's our family our friends our work our things or whatever we slide it into place and you know what we do we go that is it right there and that is going to take all of my time and all of my energy and all of my efforts and God says I can't bless it. I can't bless it. You're leaving idols in there. You love them more than you love me. You realize that if Hezekiah doesn't go, I'm going to tear down all those altars. I'm going to destroy all of it. If he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave this one idol. I'm going to leave that brazen serpent that Moses made. I mean, that's a pretty good heirloom. Been around for a while. I mean, it is a great type of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus himself uses it. <laughs> As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Hezekiah goes, man, i got to break that thing. Well, it's just a nice little trinket. No, no, not anymore. Now it's being worshipped. Now it's a little too important. It's not just a moment of time that you remember and praise the Lord he saved us out of all of our troubles that day. Instead, it's become that brazen serpent is important. It saved us out of all of our troubles. They start looking at the blessings of God instead of at the God of the blessings and they start ending up getting themselves into a complete mess. The children of Israel, you, you go into the minor prophets and the problem is that the children of Israel keep turning to all the other nations and they stop looking at God and they go, well, these folks have helped us and these people have helped us and we're going to go back to these folks and they're going to go and help us and they're the ones that, and the Lord says, and they forgot that I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one who goes ahead and meets everything that they need. I'm the one who takes care of them. I'm the one who blesses them. I'm the one. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take away all of their blessings. And he just starts stripping it down. Because they choose to keep their idols. People worship all sorts of things. They worship all sorts of things. And you don't have to, you know, if we walked in and Brother James made a joke about Muhammad or Buddha or whoever it was, I don't know. Um, you go ahead and set a statue up up here, right? All you would stone me with the statue. You'd break it down, you'd beat it up, and then you'd throw it at me until I died, right? If I set a statue up here, that's what we'd do. And you should, all right? You should. But we do that in our hearts all the time. We decide we're going to do this instead of doing what God told us to do, and then we have an idol. Our allegiances are tied too much to other things, and it's not tied to the one who saved us. And so what do we do? Well, we choose family, we choose friends, we choose ourselves oftentimes over what God was asking, and we've set up our own idols. And you know what God says? How am I supposed to prosper you? We love to, well, the love of money is the root of all evil, and men love money, they love their job, they love their status, they love their name and lights, they love all these things, they love themselves, that's what they love. They've become their own idol. I mean, we live in a day right now where everybody is idolaters of themselves. They hold themselves up so high. Uh, the world, in the world mentality, it is you need to love yourself and get your self-esteem up high enough so that you can, because if you don't love you, then you won't love anybody else. That's wicked. 
That is backwards mentality right there. That is the worldly mentality. You know what that is? That is set yourself up as an idol and once you have worshipped yourself well enough and you think that you're amazing enough, you can go help somebody else. And the Lord says, no, no, no. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. No, you get down and keep getting down lower until God goes, okay, that's low enough. I'll pick you up now. But the world goes, no, no, no. You need, you need I mean, you got to be esteemed. You got to be great. They look around and they say, well, no, you got to have, you know, you got to have enough money in the bank and you got to have all these things. And if you don't have these things, then you, you're not doing well enough and you got to work harder and you got to do more. And if you don't measure up, you got to be. Oh, no, you got to be educated. If you don't have the right education, you can't possibly. They make that an idol. They make wealth and status. They make the job. They make the education. They make the things that you have. They make all that stuff idols. They make themselves idols. They go ahead and make sports figures idols. I want to be like Mike. That was the old saying when I was growing up. Just like Michael Jordan, that's who I want to be like. You realize that man is a drunk, gambling, fornicating, wicked man? And the world goes, oh, I want to be just like him. Why? Oh, because he got his face plastered on Nike. Okay, great. He may be the greatest basketball player of all time. You know what he is in the eyes of God? A lost, wicked, vile sinner who will spend eternity in a lake of fire if he doesn't trust Jesus Christ as his Savior. He'll be just like every other idolater on the planet. So I just want to be like him. Well, there you go. That's your problem. Your problem is you want to be just like everybody else. They make fashion and they make all the things that go along with it. Well, if you don't dress, dress as well and you don't do this and you don't do that, well, then you're, you're not making it and you're not good enough. And It's all idolatry. It's all idolatry. It's vanity. Piled up and polished. And people go, well, you know, it's not the same. Well, you know, I just need to have the latest and greatest. If I don't have the newest phone, what can I do? I mean, my camera won't have like 807,000 other cameras on it. Uh, I won't be able to zoom in to like 907 times, right? Now, I don't even know what they're up to anymore, right? I, I need enough pixels because if I take a picture of my food that I'm going to post on Facebook, you're welcome, right? You're like, Why? I need a better phone so that I can take better pictures for all of my people who follow me around. I'll slide it in. Why is it that you need everybody to follow you? Isn't that interesting that they're followers? Anyways, I'm not going to get into all that. Just get me mad. (laughs) Just get me all fired up. I'll just leave it alone. But it's always, right? It's all about what can I get? You're the idol. It's all about you. How many people watched and how many people did and how many listened and how many, it's all about you. There's an idol there. That's the problem. The problem is you've got idolatry. Now, I may not have hit your idol. I don't know what your idol is, but you probably have one. You love it and the Lord has asked for it and you've said no repeatedly. And you've maybe even made excuses. Well, it's just how I was raised. Hezekiah didn't use that. Well, I've always been. 
Hezekiah didn't use that. Well, you know, that's just what everybody expects. That's not what Hezekiah said. In fact, he did the opposite of what everybody expected. He said, I'm going to tear all my dad's stuff down. I refuse. I refuse to live like that. I choose that I have one God, and he is God alone, and he is it, and I'm going to serve him, and nobody else gets an option. But we leave idols. And then the Lord says, how am I supposed to prosper you in the way? How am I supposed to go with you? How am I supposed to work with that? It's strange. We oftentimes would love to have God's blessings, but we don't like to do it His way. If we would resign to His way and give Him all the authority He deserves, we wouldn't have the same problems that we have. But we choose. And he chose. You know what he chose? He chose to go ahead and pull that stuff down and destroy it. Get rid of it. Wipe it out. You know, it's amazing too, by the way, if you were to look down all the, all the things that he does with those things. He destroys it so badly nobody's rebuilding it. That's an interesting little thought right there. You know what we do? We go ahead and we take the idol and we go, well, I'll just... I'll just I'll just put it over here. No, nobody will even know it's there. I'll just leave it there. I mean, it's just such a nice memento. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to take that brazen serpent and I'm going to destroy it so nobody can ever worship it again. You know what we do? We hold on to them and we kind of set them off to the side and we go, I may need that one day. I may want that. We don't sever that tie well enough. To go ahead and say, I'm not letting that back in. I'm going to destroy everything possible to make it so that it doesn't look like I'll ever have that ever again. I'm going to do everything I can to make it so that that idol never shows back up for me. Hezekiah did it. I'd say it worked pretty well for him. Get to verse number 5. Second thing that he did, he removed the idols first and then he, number two, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. That is a huge statement. That is huge. His statement is, I trusted, he trusted the Lord. Hezekiah trusted the Lord so much that there wasn't anybody before him or after him of the kings of Judah. Now it's after the tribes have split. you got Judah and Israel and the two nations. After that split happens at Rehoboam and all the craziness happens, right? There's nobody like him after him or before him that trusted God the way he did. I think this is a reference, and I could be perfectly wrong, but I think this is a pretty good reference to the time when he sits there and Sennacherib has surrounded and he's besieged and he's going to go ahead and he's going to send, he sends those letters into the city to scare everybody and let them know, hey, everybody else was trusting in their gods and I took them all out. I've destroyed them and their God wasn't able to save them and your God can't save you. And Sennacherib's going ahead and shooting off and telling everybody, oh, this is, uh, I'm going to go destroy you and we're going to siege you and you're done. You might as well give up now. And uh, Hezekiah walks in in front of the Lord and he spreads the letter out in front of him. He goes, Hey, 
In case you didn't get the letter yourself, I brought it to you. This is what Sennacherib is saying about you. I can't do anything about it. You want to do something about it? I'm do- I got nothing. I can't beat him. But you can do whatever you'd like. And he trusts that the Lord's going to go ahead and he sets that whole thing out there. You know what he says? He says, okay, God, that's what Sennacherib is saying about you. What are you going to do? Because I'm not doing anything. And the Lord goes, okay, I'll take care of Sennacherib. <laughs> Don't worry. I got a plan for him. I'm going to make him look so bad, they're going to kill him for you. You don't even have to do anything. He goes, a home, he goes home ashamed and so ashamed that his own kids kill him. In the house of his God. How do you like that? He went back home to go worship his God. And God says, okay, good. You're in the right place. I'm going to go ahead and kill you in the place where you trusted. Because you weren't going to trust in me. Hezekiah goes, I can't defeat my enemies, but God can destroy whoever he likes. He ruleth in the affairs of men, we find in some other places. Hezekiah is the one who goes ahead, and when everything else is going wrong, he knows the only one he can turn to. Even at the end in his illness, and he doesn't want to die, and it's probably just sheer selfish motives that he goes, Lord, I don't want to die, but don't you remember all the great things I've done and trust in you? Would you give me just a little bit more? And the Lord says, okay, I'll give you more. Even in his illness, you know what he did? He trusted the Lord. Even when he doesn't do right after that, he still was trusting the Lord. He didn't show off very well afterwards, but boy, he got it right there. You talk about getting prayers answered? Hezekiah got some major prayers answered. You say, why? He trusted the Lord. He trusted in God. He goes, you know what? I removed all those other idols, Lord. (laughs) You're the only thing I've got to call on. Think about that for a minute. And think about all the things you call on before you trust him. Well, now you've got some other idols. He goes, no, I eliminated all those. You know what I've got? I've got one person I can call on, and it's God. I'm going to call on him in my troubles. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The day you called upon him and he heard you? Don't you like it when you call upon him and he hears you and he delivers you from all of your troubles? Maybe he'd do some more delivering if you were the one calling on him and actually trusted he was going to come through on that. He likes, he likes to come through. I don't, I, don't know of, I don't know of a better father who wouldn't want to come through. He just, he always wants to. So what stops him? Usually because you have not, because you ask not. Or you just ask in a mess that you may consume it upon your own lusts. You have nobody else's interests in mind but yours. That's often it. It's very simple. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, when you're in trouble, who do you call on? Hezekiah, he knew who to call on. Every time Hezekiah got in trouble, you know what he said? I'm going to the Lord with this. (laughs) I'm going to the Lord with this. He can take care of all of my troubles. He can fix it every time. We struggle because we look for other ways to go ahead and get it done. Hezekiah goes, I got no other ways. I'm going to him. I'm going to him. Uh, I don't remember which old preacher said it. Uh, but it was, it was quoted by a couple different guys that I've heard. And, you know, it was, uh, 
It was faith is not hard to live by if that's all you've got left to live by. What does he mean? He means if you've got anything else but just trusting that God can get it done, you're going to grab onto whatever else you can grab. It's often easier for us to go, uh, well, you know, I do have an army. <laughs> I do have this army sitting right here. I could probably get this job done. I, I, let me go toe-to-toe with Sennacherib. I don't need you, Lord, to go in and intervene there. I, I have an army. As the guy goes, oh, I don't even, let's not even count that. Let's just see what the Lord will do instead. Well, we've got doctors and physicians, and they're going to do... Well, how about, how about you ask the Lord first? Now, don't skip your doctor's appointment, amen? Pray, Lord, give them the right answer. Pray they see it on the first test as opposed to the 30th test and they're doing all the things, right? Pray, Lord, will give them some wisdom so that they see what's going on. They don't miss some things, right? But why is it that you go, well, I'm just going to go to the doctor and see what he tells me. Why don't you ask the Lord to go ahead and be the great physician? Maybe he'll take care of it before you get a scan done. They give you the scan and you go, I don't know where that went. And you say, I do. The Lord got rid of that for me. And go ahead and be a witness and a testimony for him. The difficulties people have is that they don't turn to him. They don't look to him. They don't put their trust in him. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. He takes care of us over and over and over again. And we struggle to go ahead and concede to the fact that we need him. Without me, you can do nothing. We oftentimes can figure out that it's easy to trust Him for salvation, but the day-to-day becomes so much more, what, can, what do I already have in, in my arsenal to be able to take care of this so I don't have to call on Him? When He already goes, uh, call on to me and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou, look at that last part, which thou knowest not. He's looking and he's going, I've got this huge picture and I see all the moving pieces. And you go, yeah, but I've got this thing right here. And he goes, yeah, but I don't want, I need that later. I, I need that later. I'm going to send this over. Don't worry, I'll take care of it if you'd let me. I'm going to just practical, just simple thought. Some of you have done some construction work. Some of you have built something. Some of you have... You know, ladies, you've, you've made some things, right? And uh, some things are, right, you want to you use everything the best way you can. In building, you want to use the best, right? You buy two-by-fours and you buy this and you buy, you're right, whatever you're going to buy. You don't want weird scrap, right? You want to be able to have the least amount of scrap possible. You want everything to be used to its fullest, right? I, I've been there. All right, right. You cut that. You cut that one piece of flooring, or you cut that one two by four down, or you cut and you go ahead and you make the cut, and you went, oh, man. I had a piece right there that would have worked. I'd have just cut two inches off. Now I cut this board in half, and I got nothing to do with this other half right now. And I just wasted. I basically wasted an entire two by four right here. And now that's like seventy-five dollars. I don't even know, right? And you're like, man, what in the world just happened? And the Lord goes, if you would hold on to your things, I know how best to use all of your things. I have a better plan. 
And we go, yeah, but I know how to fix it. And he goes, no, you really don't. <laughs> and we go, we go, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I have an idea. And he goes, I have the answer, not an idea. Don't do that. And we go, yeah, but I got it. And he goes, well, I was going to use that, but now I've wasted an entire two by four. You ever feel like you got too many chunks of two by four laying around in your life? There it is. And so you just, you got to understand the Lord has everything all set up. He has it. And he has all the pieces that he wants you to have. But your problem is, right? My problem is we grab a piece that he's got reserved for something later. Because we have a plan. Hezekiah, he knew better than to do that. He said, you know, I'm just going to go to the Lord. And there's nobody else like him among all the kings of Judah. That's a pretty good list of names. He stands out as the best because no matter what was coming, he said, Lord, you got me. The Lord's got it. I'm working on... Uh, message idea it hasn't really come together yet and so I, it's just kind of sitting there in no man's land waiting <laughs> till the Lord illuminates something that I'm missing there's some really interesting statements that some people make and you know they're all or nothing statements <laughs> you know Ruth goes ahead and she follows right Esther stands up there, and if I perish, I perish. You know, Ittai, he makes the same declaration to David there as he comes to him. I'm, I'm going to die with you. These people are like, I'm going to die with you. And I'm thinking, boy, if only a Christian could get a hold of some of those. I'll, I'll trust you, Lord. You know, and if I'm supposed to die, I, I just die. It's okay. Hezekiah, Lord, Sennacherib's saying all this. I don't know what you want to do about it. But if we die, he's going to say you couldn't save us. Or says, well, I'd hate to have him be right and me be wrong, so I'm going to go ahead and take care of that. What a wonder it is to have a God who can take care of everything. Lastly is verse number 6. Some of you, if you've paid attention, you already know what I'm going to say. All right. For he clave to... The Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. He not only removed those idols, he not only put his trust in the Lord, he goes ahead and he cleaves to the Lord. Uh, that makes me think of those mighty men, and shame, right? He, hand is weary, his hand clave onto the sword, holding onto that thing so tight, nobody can figure out how to get his hand off of it. <laughs> Inseparable from his weapon. What would it take to, for you to be separable from your God? Oftentimes it doesn't take folks much. Little things. Well, somebody said that, or somebody didn't say anything, or somebody shook my hand, or somebody didn't shake my hand, or someone I didn't like, and I only heard half of it, but I know it had to be about me. And... 
So a lot of amens right there from the ladies. Um, right? And we go through. It doesn't take much sometimes for people to kind of just flop off the map, fall into nothingness. It doesn't take much for them to kind of tip over to the opposite side and go, well, you know, somebody sat in my seat on Sunday and I don't really like that and now I had to sit somewhere else and now we're all going to be sad about it. And Don't they know it's my spot? I had my name stitched in the seat. and Everybody goes, who, what, what are you talking about? And most people would go, that's, that's weird. And that's petty. And it seems so small. But it's oftentimes not the big things that remove people. It is often the small. The little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that seem to get in there. And the smallest things make it so you no longer want to hold on to the things you ought to hold on to. Well, God didn't do this and God did that and he took all these things and he didn't give me those things and it becomes all these things. And you know what ultimately you've done is you've made an idol out of yourself all over again. It is what God has done to me. It's what somebody else has done to me. It's all about me. It's an issue of pride. You realize that Hezekiah's ultimate downfall later is just an issue of pride. Look at my greatness. Look at how great I am and look at the wealth that I have acquired and look at all the things and God walks in and goes, you're done, Hezekiah. And I can't bring judgment now, but I will bring judgment when you're dead and your kids will have to bear it. Say, so what's the problem? Pride. Pride and arrogancy. Pride and arrogancy. And he cleaves to the Lord in those times when everybody else would have fallen away. And then he gets to the one spot where you think Hezekiah should have this all together by now. Isn't it amazing? This is late in life. He's gone through his entire reign when he messes this thing up. He's already had Sennacherib defeated. He has already gone ahead and beaten the Philistines. He's already pushed him out to Gaza. He's already done all the greatness that he needed to do. And he's sitting there in comfort. He has all of his victories. And as he sits there, the only thing he has to do is finish giving God glory. So I'm, I'm past all that. I got rid of all those idols. I'm past that. All those storms have already come through. I'm past that. I'm doing fine. Nothing could get between me and the Lord. <laughs> I want you to know it's not over till it's over. You have not arrived yet. <laughs> Hezekiah, he didn't make it to the finish line. Oh, I know he looks clean and good right here in verse number 6. He still looks great. But we know the real story there at the end that the Lord is being so merciful and gracious about is that if he would have just kept cleaving on to the Lord till that last day, you and I wouldn't even be able to question his greatness. But the problem is now we go, Lord, are you seeing what I'm seeing? <laughs> Did you read the same book I read? 
And he says, yeah, I authored it. But boy, he really held on to me in the times he needed me. You get thinking about that, that man, Shema, and cleaving to the sword and holding on to it, and it's so tight, and it's so inseparable that in that fight, many of you have heard that message, I preach a couple on the mighty men, but he's so inseparable that if he goes to surrender, what's he supposed to do if you surrender? First thing, well, drop your weapon. Put your sword on the ground. If you're going to surrender, go ahead and just be done. And he's going, no, no, I surrender. Well, drop your sword. Well, I can't drop my sword. We aren't getting close to you. You're going to die if you don't drop that sword. Right? You deal police officer. Someone's holding the weapon. If you don't put that weapon down, you're dumb. That's what you are. You're dumb. They've got their weapon on you. They are waiting for you. Their command is to put it down. You don't put it down. And they put you down. You deserve I don't care what color your skin is. You deserved it. You're stupid. They gave you the order. They do not know what you are going to do. And they are authorized. And they should be. Anyway, I'm going to say that again. If you're dumb enough not to put it down, you deserve to be shot. And I think lethal force is perfectly acceptable. If you can argue that against me, go ahead and try. But that's, and then they go, oh, police brutality. No, it wasn't. That was, that was individual citizen stupidity. That's what that was. And those guys are looking at, the, looking at shame and he's holding that sword and they go, put that thing down. And he goes, uh, I can't, I can't. <laughs> well, either he's going to die or they are. He's got blood dripping off of him. He's been fighting for so long. He's got all of their buddies' blood all over him and all over his sword and everything else. You know what they're going to do? They're going to kill him if he doesn't drop it. But he can't. Inseparable. You say, how is it? How is it that so many martyrs have given their lives for the Lord and would willingly lay it down? Very simply, they were inseparable. It didn't matter what it was, it didn't matter what they asked. The answer was no. Inseparable. Oh, deny Jesus. I can't. <laughs> I can't do that. Go ahead and go ahead and bow in obedience. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't separate from that. I don't know how. I don't know how to be separate from what his command was. I don't know how to be separate from what he asked me to. I don't know how to surrender that. So either I die here or you yield to the Lord Jesus Christ and you die to self and you go ahead and trust him. But either way, one of us is going to die. It's the question ultimately of who's going to cleave to what. Hezekiah chose to cleave to the Lord. He followed him. 
He kept his commandments. He goes ahead and does it. And the Lord's statement about him, as long as he did that, and the Lord was with him, verse 7. And he prospered whithersoever he went forth. That's quite the epitaph. That is quite the statement. If you would be willing to stick with him, he'd stick with you and go ahead and make sure everything is always taken care of. Why don't I get everything taken care of? Probably because you didn't stick with him. Or he's got a better plan and you need to trust that he's got it under control still. And you don't see the whole field, but he sees it and he's just not wanting to waste good on that right there. He's going to go ahead and make it better later. And you can trust him because you've removed all of the idols and you've gotten that all out of the way and you go, Lord, I trust you and you alone to give me my victories and to keep me safe. And I'm going to hold on to you and if everything else is sinking and everything else is falling apart and I don't understand and I don't get it and I don't want it and I don't know what's going on out there and everything else is confusion and the storms are too big and the waves are too high and I don't understand what you're doing and everything else is crazy, the one thing I can do is cleave to you because no matter what, you'll get me through my storms, I trust you. And I don't need some other idol to get me through. You will always get me through. And you will always prosper. And you will always, because that's who you are. That's who he was to Hezekiah. And I hope that's who he is to you tonight. Let's go ahead and stand. Maybe there's some things you need to take care of before the communion service. Maybe there's some things you just need to ask the Lord to do for you, or maybe you just need to go ahead and talk with Him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, or Lord, thank you for getting me through some things. Lord, thank you for blessing me. Lord, I know I haven't always been as great as I should be. Hezekiah wasn't. But boy, the Lord is merciful and gracious. And He slides in that nice little epitaph. I was with Him, and He didn't waver, and He didn't falter. What a great thing it is that God doesn't rehearse our failures. He goes ahead and forgives them and washes them and says, Okay, that's my son. That's my son. Stick with him tonight. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation even now. Bless the communion service to follow. We love you. Lord, I do pray you'd bless our night. In Jesus' name, amen.